2: Welcome to the Python Massacre, a production of iHeartRadio and KT
4: Studios.
0: There were always these rumors about Michael Moran and the women that he was around and the
4: circles he ran in. This guy trafficking women all over the country from this little town that's known as the epicenter of the opioid epidemic.
5: It was public knowledge. That was the crazy thing.
4: Everybody knew the rumors and had known somebody that knew somebody that had worked for him.
3: She left papers and it said Michael Moran's name his cell phone number. I had all this information that really impacted our area, and this could have brought a lot of closure
5: to these families who were being told nothing by our local officials and our local law enforcement.
2: This is the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, Season 2, Episode 7, 25 Miles South. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. In episode five of this season, we explored the allegations of corruption and the subsequent arrest of Pike County Sheriff Charlie Reader. But his story is just one of many that has illuminated alleged abuses of power perpetrated by those involved in Southern Ohio's criminal justice system. So in this episode, we want to focus on another case that has long affected a community just 25 miles south of Piketon, in a town called Portsmouth, Ohio. In 2015, a reporter named Nikki Blankenship began investigating rumors of human trafficking in the town. Like many small Ohio towns, Portsmouth has a long, rich history of industrial might, preceding an era of rapid urban decay. Here's James Pilcher, a reporter for Local 12 News in Cincinnati, speaking with our producer, Chris Graves.
4: Portsmouth is the county seat of Seattle County, which sits right below Pike County. So it's about 30 to 45 minutes south of Piketon. Portsmouth has this you know, rust belt, burned out industrial field. There are, are half empty to empty factories in the middle of the city. At one point, USU had their biggest plant there. And then obviously, you know, the global economy and, and we all know what happened to the manufacturing in the Midwest. It, it still has a small, profitable steel mill downtown, but it's barely hanging on.
6: So it's kind of like a city that was forgotten.
4: Yes.
2: When the manufacturing industry began to disappear, Portsmouth was besieged by the drug trade. Nikki Blankenship grew up in the area and saw the devastation firsthand.
6: Your area has been really hit by the opiate crisis, right?
5: Yeah, we call ourselves Ground Zero for the opiate epidemic. I've lived in Ohio since 1984 in Florida County, so yeah, I've lived here my whole life. I remember in high school, people around me, they would start out with small pain pills and then OxyContin hit, and it was no longer recreational drug use that people were doing at parties. You were seeing people become addicted very, very, very quickly.
2: In 2008, Nikki started writing about the issue for a local newspaper.
5: I started out covering the drug epidemic. I was the first in the area to do stories on OxyContin and looking at overdose rates in the area and started asking those questions from the coroner's office about how many of these deaths that we're seeing are connected to opiate use and then started looking into pill mills and we ended up shutting down over 23 pill mills inside of county
2: nikki's reporting helped shed a light on the area's drug problem but other illicit industries sprung up around it nikki was there to cover it all
5: In 2013, I did a series that ran for months on prostitution and I was walking the streets with some of these girls. I also talked to like parents of women that were working on the streets and talked to officers about the problem and local businesses about how it affected them. It was interesting because when I was doing these stories, I started seeing a lot of names come up from these girls.
2: The one mentioned most often was Michael Moran.
4: Michael Moran, he's in his mid-70s, long-time defense attorney. You know, DUIs, drug offenses, those kinds of things. He had his own firm in Portsmouth. And at one point in the late 2000s, he got himself appointed as a city councilman of Portsmouth.
5: He's a very public person, so if there was a Red Cross banquet or something that I was covering, he would be there. So he's he's been around my whole career pretty much.
4: Now, rumors had been circulating about Mike Moran for years.
5: These stories about him being involved in prostitution go all the way back to the 70s. A lot of those stories are just about him hiring girls to dance and uh, at local parties and poker games. It was the secret that everyone joked about but no one really talked about and it was pretty common knowledge. I think I mentioned like a Red Cross banquet I had to cover once. He was there with a girl known to be arrested for prostitution, known to be arrested for drug abuse and she was there. You could tell that she was under the influence by her behavior. She was being very loud and on a cell phone in the middle of this banquet and speaking very inappropriately for the setting. And Mike's just laughing with her. And a city councilman at the time actually leaned over towards me, jokingly elbowed me on the side and said, there's Mike and one of his girls. It's just always been known.
2: As Nikki began exploring Moran's ties to the local sex trade, the story grew much darker.
5: I was interviewing some people who were in an inpatient treatment facility And I found out that one of the women over the program was involved with a human trafficking program. And so I started talking with her about human trafficking. And she said that when women are arrested at a certain age, Moran has been going to see them in jail and gotten them reduced charges in exchange for doing sexual favors for him and working in prostitution.
2: Nikki further explained the allegations leveled against Moran by area women.
6: At the crux of what he does is he offers his legal services to get these women out of jail and then puts them under his employee. Yes,
5: he uh, gets women out of jail and that basically gets them into his clutches. Other stories are that people are hired as dog walkers or as cleaners and instead are actually working in prostitution.
2: An affidavit filed by the DEA would later support these accounts. James Pilcher explained that this method of manipulation marks the distinction between prostitution and human trafficking.
4: Some people will say, oh, well, these women knew what they were doing. They were just trying to make money. These women were prostitutes. Well, if you talk to the experts, it went one step beyond that. It went into trafficking because some of those allegations Moran was holding over them the fact that they were drug addicts and you know, he would withhold their money or withhold their money or wherewithal to get drugs. So the statute says if you withhold or threaten to withhold money that women need for drugs or withhold the drugs, it's trafficking because it's coercion. Anytime you can prove coercion, it's trafficking, both in the Ohio law and federal law.
2: We're going to take a quick break here.
7: Go to lifelock.com slash iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at lifelock.com slash iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80.
2: Some believe Michael Moran's reach goes farther than even human trafficking. In 2013, a Portsmouth woman named Megan Lancaster disappeared. Michael Moran has denied any involvement or responsibility in her disappearance. Additionally, authorities have not brought any charges against him in the case.
5: At this time,
2: it's unclear whether they have questioned him in the matter.
5: Megan is probably the case that is closest to my heart and that's mostly her sister-in-law Katie Lancaster has just screamed and screamed and screamed on her behalf.
3: My name is Katie Lancaster and I am the sister-in-law and best friend of Megan Lancaster who has been missing from Soto County since April 3rd 2013. Who was
6: uh, Megan Lancaster and how did you meet?
3: We met at uh, a—it was called Scioto County Joint Vocational School. We were both taking cosmetology. And she is a wonderful, loving, gives-a-shirt-off-her-back person that I know for a fact that if this tragedy had to happen to anybody, she would have given everything she had to save the next person.
2: Megan and Katie formed an unbreakable bond, and soon they became family members.
3: I was spending about every night with Megan, pretty much on school nights. Megan would say, My brother wants to take you on a date. So I said, Okay, okay, like I'll let him take me for dinner and so on and so forth. And I did that. Well, I never left. Um, I was 17 and we just hit it off and fell in love.
2: Katie and Megan's brother, Jimmy, were married in 2005. A few months later, Katie became pregnant. Soon after, Megan did as well.
3: I went into labor August 31st, had my baby September 1st, like in the middle of the night, and she had her baby November 4th. So we were legitimately only, you know, a couple months apart.
2: In 2006, Megan gave birth to a son named Reese. Being a young single mother was tough, but Megan seemed to have a bright future ahead of her.
3: Any sport she played, she played to the fullest. She was there for her team, always cheering everybody on. But softball, she was the pitcher. She had a full-ride scholarship to Shawnee State. I mean, to me, Megan couldn't have been any smarter than what she was.
2: Despite her intelligence and athleticism, Megan fell victim to the drug epidemic that gripped the Portsmouth area.
3: She was open about the fact that, you know, that she used drugs, that she used a needle, It was rough and and I would tell her, I would say Megan. I would try to play both sides like her friend and her sister-in-law because I would say Megan, you need to get help and you need to change for you first and foremost. But at the same time, you need to do it for Reese because he needs you. And her answer was, Katie, why change it now? Everybody's gonna look at me the same way. I'm never gonna live down the things I've done. I'm I'm never gonna be able to change that opinion that people have of me. She just couldn't see past the past, you know, past the things that she felt people would never forgive. And then that point took over Megan, and it led to more.
2: Years later, a strange encounter with Megan would leave Katie forever suspicious of one local man, Michael Moran.
3: I was in Walmart with Jeremy and all of a sudden I see Megan come bouncing down the aisle and I'm like, what the hell is she wearing? It was literally Santa lingerie, to be honest. She said, I'm here to get something for this party I'm doing for Moran. It's a bachelor party and I'm just like, okay but again what what, why are you in here in that outfit and she's like because it's what i'm wearing to the party and i'm like well get get whatever you're getting and get the heck out of here before you get arrested for uh indecent exposure
6: (laughs) can you describe april 3rd 2013.
3: april 3rd 2013 megan went missing that day she was with her mom she went to her mom's early in the morning said, Mom, I need to pay my insurance because she had been pulled over and called over. Her car had been impounded for literally like $60 in back child support or something. So her mom followed her to Portsmouth. Megan got in her mom's car down in Portsmouth. They rode down to the bonding company. They paid her insurance, then got back in her own car, her Mustang, and they went their own ways.
2: Later that day, Megan called her mother, Marcy, to make arrangements to see her son.
3: She said, Mom, I'll be there to stay the night with Reese.
2: But that night, Megan never showed up.
3: You know, then the next day, Marcy tried to get a hold of her, couldn't, went by her apartment. Her car wasn't there, so Marce thought she's out running the streets or whatever, you know, out running the roads. Didn't think much more about it.
2: Two days later, on April 5th, Megan's car was found in the parking lot of a local fast food restaurant. She was nowhere to be found.
3: What stuck out about the car was the fact that it was up on the curb and Megan would never have parked it like that, if She, especially she might have pulled in if she was in a hurry, like, and got out and got something, got right back in the car and left. But she would have never pulled in there to leave it there like that.
2: Inside the car, police found Megan's wallet and a small notebook that contained some suspicious entries.
6: She left clues as to who she'd been working for, what she'd been up to, right?
3: Yes, she left papers in it. They actually said dance for... And Michael Moran's name, his cell phone number, and how much he paid for her to dance.
5: We know we have this problem with missing women, and we know we have this problem with women who have been found dead, and their cases have never, their murders have never been solved. And despite that, that car set at her mom's until October of 2013, and there's um, documents where they took it, where they took the car into evidence that are dated showing that. And it was really Katie and Megan's family that did all of the investigating and hire private investigators. They couldn't get any cooperation from local police. So it's Megan's case, really. It's the only one that has really been made public so people can see exactly what these women have gone through and how these things have happened.
6: If Moran was running a decades-long sex trafficking operation, we're talking about some serious abuse of power. What are your thoughts on that?
3: The abuse of power makes me completely fucking sick. Excuse my language, but I don't know how else to put it. It makes me sick because, you know, he's in this position to help people to help rebuild their lives. If they've been in trouble once or twice, you know, drug charge, whatever. They send them to treatment, they do this, they do that. But he takes it a step further and takes them, like buys them what they want, courses them into these things, shows them a life that they've never had before. And then, boom, back on drugs, back to doing what they were doing, back in trouble. And to me, that is sickening, and there's no excuse for it. Do you think Mike
6: Moran is involved in Megan's disappearance?
3: I do believe Michael Moran is involved in Megan's disappearance. And I do believe that we will eventually tie Mike Moran to Megan's disappearance.
4: Let's
2: stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment.
1: Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's
7: Club.
0: Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call.
2: Gee, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well.
6: What's it like to go through losing a family member or friend, um, but not actually knowing what happened to them?
3: It's hell. I was talking to my mother-in-law about this today. You know, people lose people all the time and they have a grave to go to. They have somewhere they can go visit that they know that that person is there or they have ashes that, that, that they have or whatever, what have you. But we have a flipping sign with missing on it that we decorate. And it is heartbreaking and it is hard not to know whether she's hungry, she's cold, she's being hurt, she's being abused or worse, she's dead. Not to know that is so hard. I see her mama suffer daily. More importantly, I see her baby boy suffer very badly. And I'm not saying that, you know, he cries every day or, no, I'm not saying that. But he has a lot of questions that we can't answer. But I can guarantee you I won't stop till I can answer him. I don't care if he's 25, 30, 35, 40. If I'm around that long, I'll fight until I can answer those questions for him.
2: In an interview, Moran claimed that he only knew Megan as a police informant who was tied to a drug case he tried years back. When asked about what may have happened to her, Moran believed that she may have been murdered, though he had no information to support his statement. It should be noted that there have been no other specific allegations tying Moran to the disappearance of any other women. Nikki Blankenship continued her investigation into human trafficking in Portsmouth, but her attempt to report on the area's missing women was met with some pushback.
6: You kind of started this with this story. This seemed to have been local knowledge that no one was reporting on.
5: Right. When I was first saying, let me talk about the missing women, I was told no. It, it didn't matter if there was proof. It was, can we talk about the missing women? Can I talk to their families? And I was told no.
2: Nikki didn't let that stop her.
5: So I I have seen these things personally. In Scioto County, we say that everyone's been affected. Because if it's not your friend, it is or your family member it's at least somebody you went to school with everybody knows somebody who's been affected by the drug epidemic and everybody knows somebody who has turned to prostitution
6: so this is a pretty personal story for you
5: yeah i spent probably my whole career i feel like working on this and nobody was listening to their stories before or seeing them as even human that really made me connect with a lot of these people in their stories Living here my whole life, these are my friends and my family members as well. Not specifically, but I have lost so many friends to overdose. I have so many friends that have battled addiction. and A lot of people I went to school with are are gone now. I have several friends from high school that ended up working in prostitution.
6: They're people, they're human, and yet they're seen as a prostitute or an addict.
5: Exactly. And that makes people not really care what happens to them. That makes people assume that they chose some lifestyle that is dangerous. It makes people just assume that they somehow are asking for that or whatever happens to them is a part of a lifestyle they chose. And so they just turn a blind eye. And I think that's another thing that has made it so easy for it to happen. And to happen right in public is that people see them as prostitutes and addicts.
2: Nikki didn't give up searching for proof linking Michael Moran to Portsmouth's sex trafficking industry.
5: I was at home a lot late at night, just going through court documents and talking to families because a lot of these families told me I was the only person they trusted. So then for me, it was like, how do I get something more than a story from a family member or even a girl? I need some kind of proof. I need some kind of document.
2: In 2017, she got it. A man named Mark Eubanks reached out to her and passed along a copy of a sworn affidavit filed by the Drug Enforcement Agency.
5: Mark Eubanks, he had been reading my stories on human trafficking and on the heroin epidemic, and he just mailed me a copy of the sealed affidavit. It was actually a part of his case and had told me uh, his story, which was that he had been arrested on drug charges. And when he was arrested, he was immediately taken and given lie detector tests about missing women and dead women and Mike Moran and human trafficking.
2: The affidavit laid out Southern Ohio Drug Task Force and FBI operations that had been underway since 2015 investigating Michael Moran and his ties to area sex trafficking.
5: He's accused of trafficking women all over the country, from New York and New Jersey to Florida, racketeering and compelling and promoting prostitution another thing that is in the affidavit that he was working with drug traffickers and there was a wiretap where they were able to hear some of the conversations between Moran and drug traffickers and he was getting drugs from these drug traffickers in order to provide to the females that he had working for him. The affidavit uh, specifically talks about him working with local judges and law enforcement um, and adult probation to make these things happen.
2: Nikki finally had the proof she needed that validated the stories told by Portsmouth's Most Vulnerable Women. But when she brought the document to her editor, she was shocked.
5: They told me, no, we're not going to publish.
2: Michael Moran would later be arrested and charged with 18 felony counts, including promoting prostitution and trafficking in persons. He was released on a $300,000 bond, which was later revoked after he violated the terms of his agreement. He has pleaded not guilty to all charges and staunchly maintains his innocence. He is now under house arrest while he awaits trial. We'll bring you the second part of the Michael Moran story in Episode 9. But next week, we'll be hearing from some of our regular contributors who will discuss updates from accused brother George Wagner IV's most recent pre-trial hearing. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at kt underscore studios. The Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by executive producer Jared Aston. Additional producing by Jeff Shane, Andrew Becker, and Chris Graves. The Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury.